All right. Well, good morning to everyone. And as Katie said, welcome to part five in our series, Jesus for President, where what we are looking at is Jesus's platform to be the king and ruler of our lives. And if Jesus is running for office today, which in some ways he kind of sort of is at all times because he's always asking us to make a decision for him, we're looking at what Jesus would say is the benefits as well as the cost, the cost and benefit of making him as the ruler of our lives, okay? So what we're looking at is we're looking at the most famous sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're looking at the very beginning of it, okay, which oftentimes that Sermon on the Mount is called like the Constitution of Christianity, and we're looking at the Beatitudes, those eight sentences at the very beginning where Jesus opened up and said, look here, you want to be part of my kingdom? Here's what's required of you. And here is what you get in return. So all the Beatitudes are that way. It's blessed are the blank requirement for they shall receive or inherit or have the reward. Okay. So, so far we've gone through three of them. We've gone through three of the Beatitudes. Who can remember what they are? Who remembers the first one? We said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And we talked about how what Jesus gave us right there is a promise that when we follow him, it's not just about the kingdom of heaven, that we actually can win in this life. That's what inherit the earth means. It means winning at the game of life, it means getting to the very end of the game and realizing I didn't just make monopoly money and monopoly prizes, but I won. I can look back on my life and say, I won. I did it the way I wanted to do it. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Remember the second one we talked about. We didn't go necessarily in order. Blessed are those who hunger and Thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And we talked about how Jesus promises us true, filled, satisfaction, peace. You know, at the end of when you had a good meal and you say, ah. Well, Jesus offers us an ah moment, okay? When we hunger and thirst for the right things, we find ourselves filled. Versus when we hunger for the wrong things, we find ourselves still hungry. And then last week, for those who are here, we talked about blessed are the, we talked about a very important role in life, especially these days. And I told you, I picked it especially for the week after the election. Blessed are the peacemakers, not peace lovers, not peace desirers, not peace talker abouters or prayer forers, peacemakers, people who roll up the sleeves, take initiative and say, I will bring peace to this world. I will go out of my way where there's conflict where there's fighting, where there's division, to bring peace and make peace. And we said, those people who are peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Okay, we got a little weaker there at the end, but that's okay. So now what we're going to look at here today is no platform, no political discussion would be complete without a topic, a discussion on foreign policy. So we're going to talk about Jesus's foreign policy. When I talk about foreign policy, Oops, sorry. When I talk about foreign policy, how to deal with those who are outside, those who are our enemies, those who deal with us in not the nicest kind of a way. And we're going to pick it up here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, which says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this of the Beatitudes is unique. This is the eighth one. Okay, we still got one more week in this series next week, but this is the eighth one in the Beatitudes. And it's unique because it's the only one that he expands on. So all the other ones were just a sentence and move on, a sentence and move on. But here, Jesus expands on this in the next verse, and he also personalizes it. Look what he says next. He says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. So he personalizes it. You, you, Peter, you, Mark, okay, you, Father Anthony, you, when they do this to you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Just a minute ago, I told you that when we talk about Christianity, the reward is not just in heaven, it is here on earth as well. We spoke about that actually during the sermon today, and when we talked about blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So when we follow Christ, it's not just, as maybe some of us were raised to think, be miserable on earth, just suck it up have a horrible life, and then God will reward you in heaven. It's not that. That Christianity, we believe that heaven starts here and now because heaven is eternal. So if heaven is eternal, there can never be a moment in time where it doesn't exist. So heaven exists today, but just in a slightly different form than it'll exist then. Then's the full thing. Now we get taste of heaven. Kingdom of heaven starts here. So the kingdom, the reward of God is not just in heaven. It is here as well. 
But it's a mistake to go to the other extreme and neglect the kingdom of heaven. And look only for the reward here on earth. And negate what is yet to come. Because everything here on earth, yes, we get a taste of heaven now. And yes, we can have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And yes, we can have joy. And yes, we can have all those things. But let us never forget that whatever we have here on earth is just a sample. Is just an appetizer for the meal. Like it's like when you go to the Costco and they give you the little thing and you eat it. That's just a taste of what's in the box. And everything that we have here, anything we have good on this earth, is just simply a taste of the kingdom to come. And what Jesus does with this last one is he lifts our eyes up. And he says, never forget. This is easy to forget in the world today. Like you agree with me. It's easy to forget. Never forget that there's more yet to come. Never forget that even though you don't feel like you're winning right now, that you will go through hard times. There will be some tough days where, you know what? You say, Father Anthony, I'm not feeling like I'm inheriting the earth. I'm not feeling that satisfaction. I'm not feeling like I'm being blessed and comforted. I'm not feeling it because there will be times where absolutely you are not feeling it. But Jesus today says, remember, the real prize is yet to come. Now, the obvious question for us, a sermon on this a thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago would be much shorter than it is here today. A sermon on this, maybe in other parts of the world, would be a lot shorter than it is today. Because you would just say, blessed are those who are persecuted. There's the kingdom of heaven. People would get it. But we got to be honest. Like, there's an obvious question that I wrestled with when I was preparing this. Because we, we, when we chose the Beatitudes, I was thinking to myself, should we even do this one? Does it even apply? Because the obvious question that we got to ask ourselves that you should be thinking and I'm thinking is, are we actually persecuted today? Like, we realize that there are people in this world. We know that there are people in this world who are persecuted. Okay, there are still martyrs. There are people, even if they're not killed, there are people who are denied their, their rights because of their Christian or their second-class citizen or denied jobs or education. There is that. That stuff exists in lots of places in this world. But that's not my question. I'm not giving a sermon in those places in the world. I'm giving a sermon right here in Northern Virginia, D.C. metropolitan area, year 2020. And we got to be honest. Are we actually persecuted today? My initial response was no. And I think an average person, that would be the, kind of their initial response is, you know, we got it. At most, we can say we are slightly inconvenienced for our faith. But then I thought about it. And I said, maybe we'll look at another verse that might help us have a little clarity on this persecuted verse. So we're going to see something Jesus said in John chapter 15. Okay, so Matthew 5 was early in his ministry. John 15 is his final days on this earth, okay, before his death, crucifixion, and resurrection. And Jesus says the same thing in a slightly different way, which I think will help us to understand it. John 15, verse 18 through 20. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So here Jesus says the same principle, but he uses a different word. In addition to saying persecuted, he said the world will hate you. And he says it very bluntly. He says, look, simply, if they hated me, they will hate you. To which all his disciples are thinking to themselves, they hate you. <laughs> they absolutely hate you. And in just a matter of a few hours, they're going to see how much they hate you. If they hated me, they will hate you. His original, the people who originally heard these words, okay, for every single one of them, this was not symbolic. This was literal. They were actually persecuted. Like Jesus had 12 disciples. And did you know that of the 12 disciples, how many were killed for their faith? Ten. Ten were killed for their faith, okay? Some were crucified, like Peter was crucified on a cross upside down in Rome. Some were stabbed with a spear. That was Thomas in India. Some were skinned alive, okay? And that was uh, Bartholomew. Some were clubbed to death. Some were sawn in two. Some were pulled apart by limbs. Some were shot with arrows. Some were burned alive. Every single one of the twelve was hated and persecuted except two. Who are the two? One is Judas, 
okay, who took care of himself. Okay, he didn't need anybody to take care of him. He took care of himself, but he's kind of the exception. We don't want to follow his example. The other one was John, the beloved. But even though John died of natural causes, he did so after being exiled to an island of Patmos. And he was exiled there. Like we think of Patmos as like a vacation resort somewhere in Greece, the Mediterranean. Back then, think less vacation resort. Think less like timeshare presentation you're going to go on when you go there. Think more prison camp because that's actually what it was. And he was sent there and he eventually died there. Bottom line, all the disciples of Jesus were hated. All of them were persecuted. And it wasn't just them. Throughout the early church, first century, second century, third century, people applied these verses, persecuted and hated, literally. It wasn't exaggerated. It wasn't like, you know, take it symbolically. And like I said a minute ago, there are places in this world where people apply these verses literally. Again, not exaggerated. Not like just take it symbolically and it means no, 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 none of that stuff. So if it's applied literally to Christians for ages, and it applies literally to Christians all over the world today, then I got to think it's supposed to apply literally to meat as well. And if it doesn't, maybe there's a problem with me. So how? How's their persecution today? Here's what we're going to do. I wanted to find, dig a little bit and see, are there examples of people who lived in prosperous times where Christianity was not a persecuted religion? Because that's us. And can we see persecution? And can we see hated for my name's sake in the lives of people who have gone before us, who lived, like I said, in times like we live, where, where it's not illegal to go to church? In fact, there's tax benefits in going to church these days, okay? Is is there anyone that we can find who relates, who lives in a a relative time like that? So what I did is I went to the 4th and 5th century. We're going to look at two people, examples from the 4th and 5th century. Now, the 4th and 5th century is unique because as opposite of the beginning, the first three centuries of Christianity, the beginning Christianity was illegal. Okay, Christians were called atheists. They were persecuted. You know why they were called atheists? Because they didn't believe in the gods the Roman gods, the Greek gods. And they said, no, no, there's no of those gods. We believe in Jesus. He's our king. And then they said, oh, so you have a king except Caesar. So you're, you're rebels and you're atheists. So Christians were persecuted heavily throughout the first three centuries. But there came a point in time where not only Christianity became legal, that was in the 313 Edict of Milan, but eventually it became actually the state religion. Okay, first it became legal, not persecuted. Then eventually it became state religion. When it became state religion, then it became like the cool thing to do. Because now like the emperor is Christian and the empress and all the high officials. Okay, so then at that point in time, you had the opposite. You had people who knew nothing about Christianity say, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be like them. I kind of think of it like today, like all the celebrities today. Okay, and they got their cross, okay, whatever it may be. And they live whatever immoral lives, but they do so with a cross tattooed right here and a verse right here, whatever it is. So they're Christian. Okay, because that, that, that's like the cool thing to do. And that's the way it was back then. And we're going to look at the writing of a man named St. John Chrysostom. And you've probably heard a lot about him because he wrote and preached more than just about anybody else. And one of the reasons that he was able to preach and write so much is exactly because of this point. Because when he came around, Christianity was legal. And you had big, huge cathedrals and large audiences. He didn't have to hide in the catacombs to preach. He didn't have to run for his life or have hidden sermons. He could preach out in the open. Because like I said, at that time, everything was, was allowable for Christianity. So back then, during this time, you would think there's no persecution. If the emperor is Christian and the celebrities are Christian and the important officials are Christian then a Christian wouldn't be persecuted, right? Wrong. Because St. John Chrysostom was hated because he spoke against the false Christianity. He spoke against the hypocrisy of the day. He spoke against the people, especially those in power, the rich, the prominent, okay, the social class, okay, who exalted themselves and looked down at the poor and then the lowly. Okay, one time he actually gave a sermon, okay, in a big, huge cathedral, big, huge Okay, church where everyone was listening and anyone who's anyone, like a who's who list was there. And he gave a sermon on the vanity, the vanity of the ladies who adorn themselves with the makeup and the gold and the whatever it may be and neglect the poor outside. And in the front row 
was all the ladies adorned in the gold and the makeup and the whatnot. And who took a special, especially was not happy with this particular sermon, was the empress, the wife of the emperor, who at that moment in time, she basically said, I don't like this guy. And he ended up in many exiles, St. John Chrysostom did. And he was, he was persecuted and he was hated by the people in power because he spoke the truth about true Christianity and didn't, didn't budge for the sake of the people in power. So there's our backdrop. Okay, there's some relative, okay, we can look at that and say, okay, that's relatively similar to ours. Let's see what St. John Chrysostom says about this passage from John 15, where Jesus spoke about being hated for his name. It's kind of a long quote, but we'll break it into smaller parts and it's beautiful. He said, evil company doth corrupt good manners and differences of disposition are at war with one another. And wheels that are divided look in opposite directions and almost accuse one another each being enamored with its own pursuit. The lover of virtue then must incur hatred. The lover of virtue then must incur hatred for the very things which excite our admiration. His rebuking vice and unveiling the vileness of the wicked by the contrast that his own manner of life presents. For when goodness is seen by its side, what is evil must appear unseemly. That's a beautiful quote, and I understand it's a little bit hard. We'll break it down right now. What St. John is saying right here? He's saying it's not a matter. It's not a matter of whether Christianity is legal or illegal. That's not the issue of persecution. It's a matter of whether our lives threaten the kingdom of darkness. Say that again. It's not a matter of whether Christianity is legal or not legal. Because at the time, Christianity is legal. It's a matter of whether my life threatens the kingdom of darkness. Because we live in a world that does not promote virtue. That promotes passions. That promotes gluttony. That promotes lust. That promotes selfishness. That's the world that we live in. So if our lives are opposed to those principles, then we will be hated by the world. Again, I know it's hard to wrap our minds around. Let me give you an example. There's a phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Okay, you've heard that before. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We can, we can say that's the way the world lives. The world promotes eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Enjoy your life. Okay, live for yourself, obey your thirst, whatever it is. Like, have it your way, Burger King, like, whatever it is. That's the way the world lives. Eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow we die. We as Christians, that's not us. That's not Jesus. Jesus says, no, we live for a world yet to come. So we are actually self-control. The world, indulgence. Us, self-control. When you put the two side by side, when you put indulgence and self-control side by side, indulgence looks ugly. Indulgence looks gross and vile and unseemly. So therefore, indulgence does not like self-control. Because it makes it look bad, and it makes it seem disgusting. I'll give you an example, easy example. It's like if you go to a buffet. If you go to a buffet by yourself, or with other people who are gluttons like yourself. You go, you eat like a pig. You enjoy yourself, you fill up that plate, you fill up the next one, like you enjoy yourself. As opposed to you go with someone who has self-control. Like someone who doesn't require two hands to carry his plate back. He can carry it in one. Someone who doesn't clean out the sprinkles at the ice milk machine when it's time for dessert. Like when you go with that person, you, you feel bad. So one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to cut down on your own portions... Because you, like, he, especially if he's, like, your same age and better shape than you, okay, and you blame it on what, middle age, whatever it is, and you see him, you're going to either cut back and be like, yeah, who needs seconds of ice milk? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what ice milk is. Yeah, you're either going to do that, or what you're going to do, you're going to hate his guts. And you're probably not going to want to go out to lunch with him again. Because he makes you feel bad because of his self-control. That's exactly what St. John is saying right here. If we are lovers of virtue, if we are self-control, if we are selflessness, if we are sacrificing, if we are others first, self-second, like if that's us, then the people who are in the opposite direction 
aren't going to want us around because we don't make them feel good about themselves. And they either need to shut us up or change their ways. Quote goes on. He says, for this cause, then I think those who are not enamored with the same manner of life rage against the virtuous. He bids then his disciples not be pain, meaning Jesus bids his disciples not be pain, even though they, they see themselves hateful to the world on account of their love of virtue and righteousness towards him. But explains that they ought on the contrary to rejoice. They ought to rejoice receiving the hatred of the world as proof of their dignity and praise with God. Back when I was in college, many, many years ago, the last century, okay, when I was in college, my uh, third and fourth year, I lived in a house with uh, eight guys and then seven guys. Okay, one graduated, so seven guys or eight guys. We had a big house, okay, and we were slobs, okay, and nobody cleaned anything, and we were just like a total pigsty. But we were good friends, and we hung out, we had a good time, and we were living the college life. Okay, and I'll just kind of leave it that. We were living the college life. In my fourth year is when I started to make a turn in my spiritual life. And that's really where I started to take my Christianity much more seriously. And because of that, I started hanging out with those guys a lot less. I didn't have a problem with them. We never like we got into a fight or anything like that or nothing disagreement. But it's just a matter of they would hang out. Okay, so I used to start, like I, would, I went to school in Charlottesville, Virginia. So it was like a two-hour drive. So event, at the beginning of my college, I would just come back like every so often. But then that, when I started taking it seriously, I wanted to come home for church every week. So I would start it, I would leave Sunday morning, come back, come back Sunday afternoon. Then eventually, I started to go on Saturday night, come home Saturday night, then go back Sunday. Then eventually, I became Friday to Sunday. Then eventually, second semester, and have classes on, on, on Fridays. So I would go Thursday. Okay, and then eventually I got, in, got my job, so I didn't care about Monday. So I would end up, by the end of that year, I was coming home Thursday and returning back like Monday night. So I was gone most of the time. So I was actually at home more than I was over there. And what happened is, started to grow distant with the friends. Again, never had a problem, never had a fight, just started walking in a different direction. Well, there was one guy in particular who actually I was closest with. And he was, he was an atheist, okay? He didn't believe in God. He thought it was funny that I believed in God and whatever. He started, we were good friends. He started just little shots, little jabs, little passive aggressives, little, I want to say mocking because we were eight guys. I mean, all we did was mock each other. Like that's just kind of how we operated. So I won't say anything, but it was just little shots. And I could tell like he was kind of bothered by me, but I didn't do anything to him. And he never said anything. But what do you think bothered him? Well, what bothered him was clear is that for three years, we were like this, and we were living the same life, and we agreed. Then all of a sudden, I said, I found something better. But because he's atheist, he can't accept that there's something better. So he was kind of annoyed on the inside that I'm saying that the life that you're living isn't as good as the life I'm living. I'm not judging you. I'm not saying it. I never said a word to him. But I could tell he was kind of bothered by it. And I especially knew that because after college, after we graduated, I didn't keep in touch with anyone. He's actually the one that we kept in touch with. Okay, we played basketball a couple times together. He actually came to the church before I was a priest. Okay, we played basketball together once. And then we played, even after I was a priest, he came a couple times to play basketball. My point is, I think he came to my wedding too, I don't remember. My point is, he wasn't upset at me. He wasn't angry. Who was he upset at? He was upset at himself. He didn't like the contrast that like, this is how we live. And I said, actually, you know what? I found something much better. Because I can have what you have, but I have something better. He didn't like that. Because his life was, this is the best. This is the college life. And anyone who says opposite makes the person feel bad. You see how this works? Read the rest of the quote. For if the man who is hated by those who mind worldly things is considered as outside the world, it is necessary then to suppose that the man who is not hated, watch out, here's some harsh words, the man who is not hated is united to the vices of the world, for it is not possible to please evil men and God. Strong words. For how could the two coincide? The will of each presenting the widest divergence. For one looks towards virtue and the other looks towards vice. The man, therefore, who wishes only to be a servant of God and who regards nothing as superior to piety towards him must necessarily be in conflict with those who love the world whenever he persuades them to a state of mind out of harmony with the vain folly of the world for advice which calls to something else is most intolerable to lovers of pleasure. Basically, he says here, if you are not hated by the world, 
He says, maybe there's a problem here. Recently, I was at a gathering. Okay, I know we're not supposed to talk politics, and this is not politics, but this is more conspiracy theory. Okay, <laughs> Recently, I was at a gathering with a bunch of um, older people, let's just say, okay, older people. And the topic, this was last weekend, okay, when all the election stuff and everything was going on. So somehow the conversation shifted into who killed JFK? <laughs> okay, who killed JFK? And they're arguing about who killed JFK. And I love me a good conspiracy film, okay, when I watched it on the airplane. So this is a fun discussion, who killed JFK? And you know how there's always, <laughs> there's always the loudest voice in the room. Not the right voice, okay, but there's always like the loudest voice in the room. And that's kind of where the discussion ends. So the, the conclusion is not where the facts take us or, or it's just who's got the loudest voice. He says it in the loudest way and you just can't say anything because you're going to get yelled at. So the loudest voice was very proud of himself when you say, who killed JFK? And the people say, you know, this Oswald. And no, and then the CIA, no, no, no. And then there's the people, the vice president, whatever it was. He said, no, you know who killed JFK? The system killed JFK. What do you mean the system killed JFK? So he basically said that JFK came to change the system. Okay, there was a system with black and white. He tried to change it. There was a system. Presidents were older. He was younger. Okay, there was a system. He was trying to bring a new system, a new way. And because he was against the system, the system killed him. So just a matter of time before someone pulled a trigger on a gun and several people mourned. This is the loud voice guy. This is not my opinion, okay? The loud voice guy said, several people mourn, but several more rejoiced or at least turned a blind eye, okay? And you can watch the Kevin Costner movie to see for yourself what the different theories are. But anyway, he said that. I get uncomfortable in those conversations. I want to bring it back to Jesus. So I raised my hand because I have permission from this person to say anything because he's a very loud voice. I asked for permission to speak and I said, you know what? That's exactly Jesus. That's Jesus. Forget about JFK. That's Jesus. Who killed Jesus? The system killed Jesus. Because Jesus was against the system. Because Jesus came and he preached a new system. It was not eye for eye. It was forgive. It was love. Love your enemy as well as your friend. He preached a new system. That you don't, when someone hits you on this cheek, you don't hit him on that one, you actually turn the other one. That you go the second mile, that you love everyone. He preached a new system, and because he preached a new system, it was just a matter of time before the system killed him. Because here's the thing about the system of darkness. Darkness cannot, cannot, not, does not like, the darkness cannot accept light. If I have a dark room, and a light comes into it, two things are going to happen. Either there's going to be light in that room, which kills darkness, or the darkness has to put out the light. But darkness cannot coexist with light. And if the world outside of us is darkness, and we come in as light, the world wants to either change us to its system or kill us to turn off our light. That's why St. Paul says this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, that you, you, by name, that you, 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 that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you, read this with me, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here's what we're going to do here today, okay? Because today's beatitude is different than the other ones. All the other ones were something you do. You need to go be meek. You need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You need to go be a peacemaker. This one is blessed are those who are persecuted. It's not something you do. It's something that's done to you. So because of that, instead of giving you answers today and telling you how to be persecuted, I'm going to ask you questions and you're going to answer them to yourself and figure out whether you're fulfilling this beatitude or not. This verse says you should shine as lights in the world. My question to you, question number one, I'm asking you two questions. Question number one is how bright does my faith shine? How bright does my faith shine? We need, each one of us needs to be honest. Okay, you're not trying to convince me. You're trying to convince no one except God. And this applies, okay, if you are in seventh grade or eighth grade, okay. It's my daughter, eighth grade or seventh grade, I can't remember, okay. Eighth grade, if you are in eighth grade or if you are postgraduate, okay, shall we say, okay. If you're at the postgraduate level, okay, that some of us are at. This applies wherever you are. And whatever your environment is, doesn't matter if you live in America or across the world, if you have Christianity all around you or Christianity is hated. My question to you is, and to myself is, how bright does my faith shine? We know the world is dark. How bright 
Am I shining? You know when you're in back to the darkness light? You know when, like, it's a dark, you're in a dark room? Maybe you just woke up in the morning and it's dark. Okay, it's dark. But all of a sudden, a bright light comes on. What happens? Ah, get it away. Like, it hurts your eyes. Like, it, you, you're startled. You, you, you notice it. You don't just, it doesn't just, just it sneak up. Like, it's, ah, it's, it's, it's startling. Would you agree with that? That was Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus came into a dark, dark, dark world. And the second Jesus entered, ah, people jumped. People noticed. You couldn't ignore Jesus. You couldn't just say, oh, 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 was that Jesus? No, no, no. Everywhere he went, people paid attention. Because he was against the system. Because he spoke so brightly and he shone so brightly. Because in a world that says, you know what? Take care of, and it wasn't just Jesus, by the way. It was Jesus' disciples as well, because he's the light of the world. And he said, you are the light of the world as well. So this also applies to to St. John and to St. Peter and to St. Andrew and all those guys. Okay, these guys were lights in the world. People like that stunned when they saw them. Because the world says, like I said a minute ago, take care of yourself. Look out for number one. And these guys came and said, no, no, no. We live for one another. Ah, what? We love one another. And we look out for, you know what? Like, can I be honest? We as a church, you as the church, the world should be taken aback by the way we treat one another. Did you know that? The world should be, ah, when they see us interacting, when they see, but you're a Republican and that's a Democrat, and y'all, you're, wah. But that, that, that's the way you treat your spouse? Like, you, you're a husband and you're strong and you're a man, whatever, but you treat it with so much respect? Like, wow. And that's the way you as a wife, you submit to your husband the way he says, oh, Wow. The world should see us and should see a shock, a bright. Look at these people, the way they treat each other. I've never seen anything like it. The system told us the opposite, but these people are a shock. The world says, do whatever you want to do. You're in charge, my favorite expression. You do you, okay? The world says, you do you. And we say, no, we're actually, we're the creation, not the creator. We're the servants, we're not masters. We don't make up rules. We're actually here to obey rules. The world says, what? You, you, like, you, you don't have, but you, what? Like, the world should be shocked by us and say, why would you do that? And why would you give up that? And why would you willingly that? We say, because we're creatures. We're not masters. The world says, the one with the biggest house, the most toys, wins the game. And we look at it and say, no, no, no. We, one of our, our core values here at STSA is irrational generosity. We actually think it's more blessed to give than to receive. We're excited when we give. Why would you give? Like you earned the money, didn't you? Yeah, but I'm not trying to build a house here. I'm trying to build a house up there. And I send up money up in advance to build me a big, nice, big house. And the world says, what? That's shocking. The darker the world gets. And every single one of us would agree that the world is a darker place today than it was during our parents' generation and then the generation before. And this is the direction that it's going. This is the way the world, the world doesn't get more light. The world gets more dark. The darker the world gets, the brighter we as children of God should be shining. And the more people's eyes should be taken aback. And therefore, the more we should feel hatred from the world. Don't ask yourself, am I persecuted? Ask yourself, how bright does my face shine? Now, the second quote we're going to look at is from another church father named St. Augustine, who also lived about the same time as St. John Chrysostom. His quote is much shorter, so don't worry, it's not going to be as long. He lived in roughly the same era. Christianity was, was legal, okay, and allowable in state religion in a lot of places, so he wasn't persecuted, okay, in the same way like, like, like martyrs, but he was hated in a different way. Okay, he says it this way. He says, but all these things they will do unto you for my name's sake. What is that? What else is that but to say they will hate me in you? He's saying like, Jesus is saying they will hate me in you. They will persecute me in you. And your word, just because it is mine, they will not keep. For all these things they will do unto you for my name's sake, not for yours, but mine. Now to understand this one, we go to a classic of uh, uh, American cinema. Raise your hands if you've seen the movie Teen Wolf, 
Teen Wolf, anyone? Okay, very good. You are old people. The young people are like, what's Teen Wolf? Okay, Teen Wolf was a classic. Okay, it was a great movie. And in it, if you remember, Michael J. Fox, the Teen Wolf, was hated by the principal of the school, not because of him, but because the dad had graduated from the same school and the principal hated the dad. They were like fighting for the same girlfriend or something. I don't remember what it was. But the principal, I'm going to use some spiritual words here, was persecuting Michael J. Fox, not because of Michael J. Fox, but because of the dad in Michael J. Fox. Because who could hate Michael J. Fox? Like, I mean, he was Michael J. Fox, okay? So he was persecuted not because of himself, but because of his father in him. It's kind of the same way with us. The world doesn't hate us. The world doesn't even know my name. But it knows Jesus. And if Jesus is shining in us, the world, just as it hated him, and it hated the people who carried his word, and it hated the people who preached his word, if he's inside of us, the world will hate him and us. So the second question is this. How clearly can others see Jesus in me? Oops, sorry. How clearly can others see Jesus in me? Jesus, bright light, shone everywhere he went. People hated him. Disciples, let their light shine. People hated them. St. John Chrysostom, St. Augustine, all these people, light shine, world hated them. How about me and you? If we're not hated, if we're not persecuted, maybe that says something about the brightness of our light. Said another way is today we have lots of 007 Christians. <laughs> you know what a 007 Christian is? Secret agent, undercover. Okay, no one knows it except themselves, and no one can tell. I heard it said one time if Christianity today or tomorrow, let's say, if tomorrow, there's a, a, a ruling or a decree from wherever it may be. Christianity is illegal. Let's say that decree is made. Would anyone convict you? Would there be any evidence against you? Or would it just be like, um, nah, he's clean. Nah, she's good. If so, that's bad. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Let's make this one more personal. I want to make sure this one sticks in your head. Let's read this all together. Read it with me. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Said all who desire to live godly. And that's why you're in church, because you desire to live godly. It doesn't say might, may, could be, hypothetically speaking. It says will. How's that for an uplifting message for this Saturday afternoon? I could end it right here, say go in peace, okay? And then say, don't forget to invite a friend next week. And no one will come back and no one will invite a friend. Because I realize it's not the most encouraging and uplifting message. That's why what I want to do for the few minutes that we got here left together is I actually want to go back to the original verse. Because remember, I told you every verse has two parts, a requirement and a reward. I spent this whole time talking about the requirement, about the persecuted. You say, wow, that's a high, high, high requirement. That's a high, high, high cost. Well, let's go look at the reward. And let's see if the reward is high as well. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. High cost, high reward. Blessed are you when they revile you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's the part we've been talking about. Look at here. You, you rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Not just glad, exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. I love, not just that it says, you have a reward in heaven. But Jesus, who is not an exaggerating kind of a guy, Jesus who speaks what he means and means what he speaks, says that you not just have a reward, but what kind of reward do you have? You have a great reward. Not just a reward. Like, I have a cookie for you. I have a great cookie for you. I have a check for you. I have a great check for you. I have a reward for you. I have a great reward for you. Jesus promises a high cost, but a higher reward because you can never outgive God. You give God one, he gives two. You give two, he gives seven. You give seven, he gives 68. That's always the way God works. You never outgive God. You never catch up and say, I'm gonna do so much for God that I can't. You never catch up to God. And that's why 
Here's what I want to say here. And I want us to all read this together. Okay, read this with me. When, actually, no, repeat it after me. Make it more. Repeat it after me. When I am hated for Christ's sake, I will rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Because great is my reward in heaven. No, because great is my reward in heaven. Come on, now we're not talking about a little reward. We're talking about our great reward from the greatest of all kings. And he says, stick with me. You be hated for me. And don't you worry. I will more than compensate for you. So we're going to remember this, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to remember this. When I'm hated for Christ's sake, when I'm hated for Christ's sake, I will, not, I will not be sad. I will not cry. I will rejoice. I'll be exceedingly glad. When they say bad stuff about me, not only if it's false, especially if it's false, I will rejoice. I'll be exceedingly glad because great is my reward in heaven. When I'm hated for his name's sake, I will rejoice and be exceedingly glad. When I'm persecuted for him, when I'm shunned by, because of him, when I am passed over because of him, when I am looked down upon because of him, when I am slighted or excluded or mocked or jeered with any of that stuff, I will rejoice. I will be exceedingly glad. Because great is my reward in heaven. Now, of course, the disclaimer here, okay, the disclaimer here is hated for Christ's sake. Okay, if you're hated because you're an obnoxious person, this does not apply. Okay, if you're one of those like pushy, obnoxious, judgmental people who judge everyone and you should this and judge and repent, that's not reward. If you're pushing people away from the kingdom, that's not this. Okay, so just, I got to just kind of caveat it right there and say, it's when you are pushing people, I'm sorry, when you are pushed away for righteousness, that's when all these verses apply. And that's when we will not be sad. We will do what this says. We will rejoice. We'll be exceedingly glad because great is my reward in heaven. First Peter chapter four, verse 14. Then Peter says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I've been to places where Christianity is very difficult. And I know in this room here today, there's people who have been in places and seen stuff and heard stuff and talked to people even more than me. I've been to places, the two that come to mind is Egypt, Okay, in some places in Africa, okay, like Father Abraham served in Zambia. Okay, I've been to Nigeria and places like that. Okay, he's been to Congo, different things. I've been to places where being a Christian is very hard. And there's a lot working against you. Like Father Abraham can tell you a story in doubt. They can tell you a story about people in Africa walk miles to church. Miles. Walk miles carrying the baby on the back, whatever it may be. Walk two miles, walk three miles to church on the rocky road and whatever it may be just to be there for that one day of church. And they walk miles to be there and they got a lot working against them, including lots of stuff that we'll never understand. There are people in Egypt who go to church every, every Sunday or whenever they go and you don't know when the church is going to get bombed. Okay, things have been better right now, but there was a time where people really were concerned that something could happen and stuff did happen. Compare that to us. There's no, we're spoiled. Like we're spoiled. It's hard for me to, to put that in the same category as us to say persecute. It's hard, it, like we're spoiled. I remember one time, one time it hit me how spoiled we are. You know when it rains? You know people don't go to church as much as when it rains. Okay, maybe not during this COVID time, we just take any opportunity. But you know in regular time when you can go to church as much as you can? Statistics will tell you, and the eyeball tells you when it rains. I remember one time, I thanked a person. I'm like, thank you for braving the rain to make it to church. And I thought to myself, what in the world am I saying? Braving the rain? Like, it's not like we're, the church is in the rain. Like, it's from the door to the car with the umbrella or the garage. And then and at, when at George Mason, we have a parking garage. They're like, what's brave the rain? But somehow that's us. Oh, it's raining. I don't like the look of that cloud over there. Like, what are we talking about here, people? We're spoiled. We got it soft. We're soft. But can I tell you something? Honest truth. Can I tell you something? Those people who have it hard versus us who have it easy, those people are worried about us. They're worried about us. They're worried about me and you. They pray for us. And you say, wait a minute. No, no, we pray for them. We got it easy. We're, not, we're worried about them. Oh, no, no, no. They're worried about us. 
Because they realized this principle that the world isn't supposed to be easy for us. And if it is, something may be wrong. That the world is darkness and we are light and the two are contrary. So if everything is easy and everything is peachy keen and no one is against us, they're worried about us and they pray for us. We look at them and say, that stinks. They look at us and say, wouldn't trade. Wouldn't trade. Because what they have stinks for a moment. But in the end, the reward is great. What St. Paul says right here, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18. St. Paul would be like the people in Egypt and Africa. It says, for our light affliction, for our light affliction, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. Things which are not seen are eternal. True story. Once upon a time, there was a missionary. Okay, this was several you know, decades ago. A missionary who lived his whole life and served somewhere um, in, in Africa. I remember, I think it was in Uganda. Okay, I don't remember actually. Served his whole life in Uganda, spent 60 years serving right there. And he gave himself as a missionary, gave his whole life. And, he, and, and during that time, he lost his wife and his children to malaria. And, okay, all his family and his friends, okay, he didn't have, basically didn't have anyone left for him. And after 60 years, he returns home to America. He's retiring. 60 years, gave his life for the mission, returning home to America. And he didn't know what he was going to find right there. Like I said, most of his family had passed away. He's just going to come back. He was returning a broken man. Let's just leave it at that. On the same plane was someone who had served in World War II, like a war hero. And this person was kind of famous. So when the plane landed, okay, they get out on, on, the, on the, the, the jetway or whatever it is, the runway thing. There was like a big party waiting for that war hero. And like signs and confetti and like photographers and whatever it is. And, and all these people are making this big hoopla over this war hero. And the missionary guy admits he got kind of discouraged in the moment. And he said to himself, God, I gave my whole life to you. I lost my wife, lost my kids, lost my health. And I get nothing. Like this guy gets all this and I get nothing. And then he says in that moment, he heard a voice, voice of God said to him, son, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. And I'm telling you, there's no time in heaven, so this doesn't really apply, but just go with it. You won't be in heaven five minutes. It won't take five minutes in heaven before you say to yourself, man, why didn't I shine more brightly down there? Why didn't I give more? Oh man, I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have served more. I wish I'd have, I'd have sacrificed more. I wish my light would have, sh oh man, you won't be but five minutes. And again, there's no time in heaven, but just go with the analogy. Five minutes before you say to yourself, down there, oh yeah, when that person hated me, that, that, that blip on the radar, oh, per when they mocked, when I was excluded, it won't take five minutes before we realize, man, we wish could have done more when we were here. Last quote. This is not uh, from a spiritual guy, Woodrow Wilson. Or he is a spiritual guy, but I'm saying he's a president. Okay, since we're in the Jesus for President series, let's go for a former president. Woodrow Wilson said, I'd rather temporarily lose with a cause that will ultimately succeed than temporarily succeed with a cause that will ultimately lose. There's nothing good in this world that comes without effort, without cost, without a price to pay. You look at someone who's got a great marriage, they put in the work. You put in someone who's got a great career, they put in the work. Anyone who's got success in any area, they paid the price, they put in the work. You never expect great reward without some sort of cost, and the same is true spiritually. My question to you, that I want you to think about this week, what does my faith cost me? What is my faith costing me? It can't be great unless there's a cost. What is my faith costing me? And if the answer is nothing, my next question to you is, I want you to check how brightly your faith is shining. 
how brightly your light is shining in this world and how much people can see Jesus within. Because if they can see Jesus within, it's just a matter of time before the persecution comes. But that's not going to bother us. We will rejoice. We'll be exceedingly glad knowing that we have a great reward from our Heavenly Father. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us and given to us, Lord. And, and when we think about everything, Lord, we can ask nothing in return. You've given us everything, Lord. We pray that you would help us to take this message to heart and truly shine like lights in this world. We don't want to be persecuted and we don't want to be hated, Lord, but ultimately we want to do whatever it takes to make you proud and to put a smile on your face and to show the world the greatness of who you are. Help us, Lord, to leave here today, but go as like little, little lights into every corner of the world that we go to and show the world who you are and how great it is to be part of your eternal family. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray, thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us here today. You can find us on any social media platform and feel free to share a message that inspires you with your family and your friends. If there's anything we can do for you, please visit our website and let us know how we can help or even how can we pray for you. If you aren't receiving our weekly email, please click the Stay Connected button on our website. Thank you again and please have a great day.